this morning uh, we are finishing our series in the letter of James. I know you're really sad about that. Give me an R. Oh, well, you could have meant it. <laughs> um, we've traveled quite a long way through this letter. Uh, we've been looking at trials and temptations that we will face in this life. How uh, We're not just to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. We're supposed to act out our faith in a tangible, real way to those around us. How are we supposed to use our tongues and how we're supposed to approach one another humbly before one another and how we're supposed to change our characteristics from that of the unwise to the wise with the help of the Holy Spirit. So we've covered a lot of ground, right? Um, hopefully you felt like God's challenged you. I believe that we have one more challenge this morning before we finish in this letter. Um, but let me just pray again real quick. And then we're going to read James 5. Everybody who's got your Bibles, James 5, 13 to 18. Um, if you just turn that into your Bibles. Um, James 5, 13 to 18. And let me just pray real quick. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is like no other book on the shelf. Lord, it is the word of God. It has life. It brings life. It speaks life. And Lord, I thank you that it guides us in our life towards you. So Lord, I just pray that as we come and we read your word, we would just submit our hearts to you once again afresh this morning. And we say, Lord, just come and speak to me through your living word. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen. Okay. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it didn't, and it did not rain in the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, that, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So this morning, no biggie for guessing, we're talking about prayer. And there's, if you remember at the beginning of the series, I, I introduced the character of James, who he was, his life, and some of the things that we know about him, um, and why he'd written this letter and who he'd written it to. And if you remember at the beginning of this series, as I introduced him, I actually told you about his nickname. Now, if anybody remembers this, who hasn't spoken on the series, I'd be incredibly impressed. Does anybody remember the nickname that he has? No. It's actually quite a weird one. It was, it was a long time ago as well, so I'll give you a break. It was Camel Knees. That's what he was known as, Camel Knees. And Camel Knees, he was known for his prayer life, James, um, he was often found in the temple, um, praying on his knees. And from what we read about him, it sounds like he had calluses on his knees and they resembled that of a camel. So he just became known as Camel. He's not the most flattering nickname, I know. Um, so it's no surprise that this man who is clearly so devoted to prayer is, is so encouraging to you and to me about our prayer lives. In chapter one, verse five, if anyone lacks wisdom, let them ask for it. You know, let them pray for it. Let them ask God for it. In chapter four, verse two, you do not have, he says, because you do not ask. You're not praying. You're not asking God 
for the things that you need. And in the climax of his letter, how he chooses to end the challenges that he brings, he brings it by encouraging every single one of us to be a people that pray. Um, And like a car that's run out of fuel, that's run out of petrol, life without prayer, a life without prayer grinds to a halt. And like a torch with no batteries in it, right? Useless. It can be impossible for a prayer-starved believer to shine in a world just so full of darkness. Prayer is an invitation for you and for me to bring a petition and to converse with an omnipotent God of the universe. And yet, so often, we pass up that chance. How often do we pass up that chance to ask a God whose power is limitless, whose reach is endless, whose love is so deep that we, re- that we, we miss the opportunity to ask him to intervene on our daily lives? And God wants, let me say this, God wants to be in your daily life. He wants to hear your your heart. He wants to hear your request. I want to tell you about a cat called Sprinkles, a little kitten. Uh, One day, there's a little kitten playing in the back garden uh, with family all around him. Uh, There's the daddy there, the mummy there. Daddy's daddy's a pastor, and and he's in the back garden playing with the family. It's a little kitten playing with the kids, and all of a sudden, no one's looking at the kitten, and this little kitten, Sprinkles, climbs up a tree and gets stuck on a branch. And, and, and the kids are like, Daddy, Daddy, Sprinkles is stuck. And this little cat falls off the tree, falls off this branch, and is clinging on, just holds on with its little kitty claws. And, and, and everybody going, oh, no, Sprinkles is going to fall. It's like really high up. Everybody's really scared. And they go, Daddy, Daddy, what are we going to do? And Dad thinks, okay, don't worry. I'm a pastor, so I have divine knowledge and wisdom. So he goes and gets his car. He backs it up, and he thinks, I've got a rope. I've got a car. He ties the rope to the branch of the tree, and he ties the the other side of the rope to his car, and he thinks, I'm going to get in the car, and I'm going to ease forward gently, gently, and the tree's going to bend down, and we're going to get sprinkles down. And they're like, yay, daddy, superhero. So he gets in his car. And he nudges it forward just gently, gently. And the tree is just like bending and bending. And he eases it forward just gently, gently and bending and bending. And they're just about to reach the sprinkles the cat. And then the rope snaps. The tree, woof, and the cat flies away. And that's the end of the story. Any cat lovers out there? Two weeks later, the pastor leader of the church, he's visiting a local family who go to his church. And uh, as he gets to the house, he, he walks into the hallway and he sees Sprinkles the kitten sat in the hallway. And he says, Sprinkle, you know, he's thinking Sprinkles is here, but he doesn't want to give the game away. He doesn't want to say, that's my cat. But he says, that's a nice kitty. Have you had her long? And they say, Pastor, you are never going to believe this. She said, two weeks ago, me and Johnny were in the back garden. He's saying, Mummy, can I have a kitten, please? Can I have a cat? She says, no, Johnny, you can't have a cat. And he says, please, Mummy, please, Mummy. Johnny, I've told you, we've had this conversation so many times, you cannot have a cat. 
And he's, please, okay, I'll tell you what, we'll get on our knees here in the back garden, we'll pray, and if God wants you to have a cat, you'll get a cat. He says, Pastor, you're never going to believe this. Now, don't you wish that all of your prayers were answered as quickly and as clearly as little Johnny's? Don't you just wish that? But the truth of the matter is, that's not always the case. And pair that with our society that we live in, this culture that we live in of instant gratification, where you can go, and go to the shop today, you can go and get whatever you want, and you can pay for it later, because you can have it now. It take, if it's something that takes too much time, too much effort, just throw it away. Don't bother with it. But also in a world where it feels like words have become so cheap, like there's information overload with the internet. There's tweets flying everywhere. Everybody's got a blog nowadays. There's, you know, everybody's texting, everybody's messaging, everybody's commenting on everything on social media. And it feels like words have almost become just unimportant, weak, meaningless, like they've lost some of their bite. But from a biblical standpoint, that's absolutely false. Words do matter. What you speak, what you say is not cheap, especially when the words that you speak are prayers. In the Bible, prayer is defined biblically as addressing God directly, the God of the universe, addressing him directly. And it's held with the utmost importance. God wants to be in your life. He wants to intervene in your life. If you're in your situations and your challenges that you go through, he wants to hear your request. He wants to converse with you. He wants to receive prayers for his goodness. And when it comes to prayer, it's really easy to like belt out the occasional prayer when people are around and you're almost expected to pray. But how difficult can it be to be committed to prayer behind the scenes when nobody else is around, nobody else is watching? One of the things I find really challenging is when we look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, when we read the gospel accounts, one thing that's really clear is Jesus prays, prays sometimes in crowds. Some, he prays a little bit more with his disciples and he prays a little bit more with his friends. But he mainly prays, he often only prays on his own. He'll go away on his own and he'll pray on his own, just spend time with his father. Yeah, I think... The, the reality of most of our lives on a weekly basis is that actually we pray mainly in crowds, mainly on a Sunday morning when we can just sit there and worship and we can pray. Or in prayer meetings, that's when we like to pray. We pray sometimes with our friends as well, but often we pray a tiny bit on our own. Anybody with me on that? We don't pray enough on our own. Jesus gives us a completely different example. And James ends this letter by challenging us, by challenging us again, like remembering James is constantly challenging us. Hey, if you believe in Jesus in here, if you have a faith in Jesus, that needs to be outworked in your life. And the way that we outwork it is to pray. James is teaching that genuine faith, it produces a commitment, not just a commitment to prayer, but a genuine patience in our prayer lives too. Like how many times do we pray for things and they don't happen so we think, oh, well, forget it then. 
but a genuine commitment to praying, regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. So he starts with two ends of the spectrum. Let's look at them real quick. Spectrum of, of suffering compared to happiness. And when we're talking about suffering, it can include disease, discouragement, doubt, anxiety. Hello, anybody? Financial hardships, relationships, r- relationship conflicts. In short, anything that includes trouble in your life. Anybody struggle with anxiety in here? Worry, doubt, discouragement, financial problems, relationship problems. He says the response to these things is to be a people that pray. And the truth is, actually, I don't find uh, people having a hard time to pray when their life's falling apart. When your life's unraveling, when pain increases, when worry overcomes you, actually, I think in that situation, people find it really hard, really easy to pray, not hard. Um, a, you know, a friend of mine recently, I just think of like a, a relationship problem he went through. And it was terrible. You know, his life just fell apart. And in that moment, he was like, oh, he could pray. He could pray like no one's ever seen before, Right. But like he hadn't been praying for three years before that. But in that moment, he could pray because all of his coping mechanisms had failed. His strength in this situation, his knowledge, his talents, they'd all let him down. And all he had left was prayer. But James, it's clear that in everything we do, we must start with prayer. Don't turn to what you always do. Start with prayer. And it's important to know that we're not, he's not calling us to pray because that immediately like, just ends the affliction that you're going to go through. It doesn't end anything. God never promises to bring instant relief to your problem. God does promise to provide the strength that you need to persevere through that problem. Praying doesn't mean that God will deliver you from every trial, but rather that he will bring you through every trial. Are you with me on that? I'm going to say that again. Praying doesn't mean that God's going to deliver you from that trial. He's not going to finish it and say, okay, don't worry about it. I've fixed it. But rather, he's going to bring you through the other side by his strength, by his power, in his plan. That's what he's going to do. Okay, so James, one, two to four. Remember, we did this at the beginning. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. You remember that verse at the beginning? Like these trials are definitely coming your way. You will have just a bad week. You will have a bad month. You will have a bad year. That happens to every single one of us. But James is saying, hey, you start that with prayer. The thing that's going to bring you through that is praying, and God was the one who's going to bring you through it. And this leads us to the opposite end of the picture, the spectrum here. He says, those who are in a place of happiness, you got the job, you won the lottery, you, 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 know, you got married, you, you had a child, like those things that just bless us in our lives. They're like, whoa, where did this come from? This is incredible. He's saying like the response to that too is prayer. It doesn't matter whether you're on a bad day, great day. The response is prayer. It's responding to God and saying, God, thank you for your goodness towards me. In all circumstances, good and bad, the right response is to pray. We have to be a people of prayer constantly. Okay, so 
I want to move on to quite a difficult point now. And it's one that I feel like I need to spend just a little bit of time on and be very clear about where I stand on this. And it's because there's a couple of points in the middle of this verse. And, um, and, and we need to be honest and we need to talk about it. So verse four, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church and pray over them. Anoint them with, with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. If they have sinned, let them, <clears throat> if they have sinned, they need to respond in that, in that sin. They need to repent of that sin. And he's saying they will be forgiven. Now, questions around the scripture, to be honest, endless debate among the Christian world. Denominations have been formed around scriptures like this, around the belief that some God-gifted healers who claim that Jesus' death, it not only brought forgiveness for our sins, so we believe that Jesus' death and resurrection brought forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life, but they would also speak and teach about this, these types of verses. They guarantee full physical healing in this life. So how should we approach the scripture? How should we talk about the scripture? Are there people, are there people in this world that suffer pain, sickness, hardship, simply because of their lack of faith? So I want to say a few things. The first thing that we believe, we believe that the original sin in the garden that we find in Genesis chapter 3, the story of Adam and Eve, it introduced suffering illness, and death to the human race. If Adam and Eve had not chosen to sin, not chosen their own way, not taken the fruit, which is a representation of choosing to trust God or to trust their, themselves, then actually humanity would never have known sickness or death. Romans 12 says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people through that one sin. And in the broader sense, all sickness and suffering that we experience today is as a result of that original sin. After Adam and Eve fell, they began to suffer a death-like experience in a hostile world characterized by suffering. And this was caused by their choice to turn away from God's way and to choose their own wisdom. The second point I want to pull out is to point out that he pairs with his teaching of prayer here, his teaching on healing, a, a call to repentance, a call, hey, if you are sinning, you need to repent. Sometimes, not always, sometimes there can be a direct relationship between sin, between your lifestyle, between what you're choosing to do, and sickness. David talks about in the Psalms a relationship between his own personal act of disobedience towards God and the physical ailments that he had. Paul also, as he wrote to the Corinthians, the church in Corinth, he, he, he talked about how some of them were weak and sick and some of them had died because of their own personal sin that they weren't repenting of. And you can think of all different types of actions, things where we, where we choose to put other things first before God, where we try and fill this God-shaped hole 
inside of us with other things like drugs or alcohol or pornography or sugar or caffeine where we're addicted to these things that are causing us physical ailments that are actually making us ill, whether mentally or physically. And we're not putting God first. We're not saying, this is bad for me. I need to depend on God to fill that need in my life, not these substances or products. But I want to be clear sometimes, although sometimes those can cause illnesses, it is caused by our sin, dependency on other things. Sometimes there is absolutely no relationship between personal sins and sickness. Some people are born with afflictions before they can even reach an age of committing sins, personal acts of sins. Other people we read about in, in the Bible, like Job, you know, we read about how he lived just this great life, worship God, fantastic person, yet suffering still came his way. Jesus himself, he never, ever sinned. He lived a sinless life, and yet he often suffered. He can fully sympathize with suffering in a fallen world that we live in. And the last thing that I want to say around this is that it is not God's will that everyone will experience full physical healing now in this life. You hear some people say that every, like, trust me, I've seen the YouTube videos. You hear preachers and pastors say, hey, like, you can experience, you just need to believe, you just need to, you just need to have faith that God's going to do this, and it will happen. And, and, and they quote things like Isaiah 53, by his stripes you've been healed. Anybody heard that quoted? But it's so important, first of all, that we read Scripture in context. You know, if you read Scripture out of context, let me tell you something. If, if I read Scripture out of context, I could stand here and preach from the Bible this morning. It says in black and white in my Bible, there is no God. There is no God. But I've taken it completely out of context. Because actually the full line says, for a fool says in his heart, there is no God. We must read things in context. And the complete flaw of Isaiah 53 is about the spiritual need of humans and Jesus' priceless provision for the forgiveness of sins. That's why he was wounded and bruised. That's why he died, primarily, not primarily to heal the sick and your physical problems with your body, but actually to bring spiritual fullness, life to everybody, that one day he will raise us from the dead and we will live and never suffer sickness or death again. Peter interprets this verse exactly the same way. 1 Peter 2, 24 to 25, he says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. That's what Jesus was accomplishing accomplishing on the cross. And he, he quotes Isaiah here, by his wounds, you have been healed, not physically, spiritually, for you were like sheep gone astray, you were out in the wilderness. But yet God, through what Jesus did on the cross, you've been returned to the shepherd, the overseer of our souls. Peter is claiming that Jesus' death brought you spiritual fullness, not physical healing, spiritual fullness the real enemy of sin and death is defeated. And finally, let's look at Paul's, the Apostle Paul's example. Three times he asked God to heal him. He had this physical issue, this physical ailment that was a problem. He called it the thorn of the flesh. 
Three times, yes, God, heal me from this. I want to be physically healed. And three times, God said no. And following that, he stated that he was content in his weakness because even without healing, the Lord had provided him with sufficient strength to see life through. Physical healing is not promised to everyone. However, with all that being said, let me be really clear. God can and does heal people today. My younger brother, AC, blind eye. He had a blind eye. I used to always, um, I was a bad older brother. I used to always hit him on that side of the face because he couldn't see it coming. (laughs) But like, he had a blind eye. And yet God, like literally healed it. Someone prayed, he healed it. Like he went to the optometrist. He gave him a full report. Like now has peripheral vision for the first time in his life. God can and will heal. Sometimes instantly and miraculously, sometimes slowly and gradually, but our God can and will heal. And when we approach God, when we approach him as his sons and daughters, we should be absolutely expectant that God is going to do a miracle in that moment. Our prayers are powerful. The words that we speak are powerful. But there is something really important to understand. If God, if you do not experience healing, like, like some people would teach that you should, <clears throat> then it is nothing to do with you or a lack of your faith. That's not what it's about. It's really important. You are a son or a daughter of the king. Nothing changes that. And he doesn't hold out on you because of something that you haven't brought. That is not the gospel message. It's all about what Jesus has done, not what you are doing. That's how we approach the king, knowing that we're righteous and clean before him. He loves you and he wants the best for you. Or even just other things in your life. The job that you didn't get. The money that didn't come through. The baby you were never able to have. The wife that you never found. Because the truth is when we fall into that teaching and it becomes about you and not what Jesus has done, it's all dangerous. Because all of your self-worth disappears. (laughs) And actually you realize, man, like I don't have what it takes. And that's the good news of the gospel. And, you, and we miss it. Jesus is everything. He's accomplished everything. And you can rest in that. Your father loves you and he wants the best for you. Bill Hybels puts it like this. He says, when it comes to the subject of answered or unanswered prayer, he said, if the request is not right, If what you want isn't right, if you want the Lamborghini, that's not right for you. God says, no. If your timing is wrong, good request, but now's not the time for you. God says, slow, slow, wait for me. If you are wrong, you know, if if you're praying like, God, smite that person, take them out, take them down, you know. If you're wrong, your request is wrong, God's inviting you to grow. But if if the, the request is right, the timing's right, and you're right, God says, go, 
Yes, that's it. Prayer is such an important blessing in our lives. And like I said at the beginning, prayer is an invitation for you and for me to talk, to bring petition and to converse with a loving father who wants to bless you, to give you encouragement, strength, and to do the incredible and the impossible in your life. So I want to finish by just three quick bullet points. First, prayer in our lives needs to be continuous. Prayer should be this constant rhythm in our lives. As often as our heart beats, you know, we want to pray. We want to pray in every situation, every circumstance. We should represent, our inner faith should be represented by how we speak, how we pray <clears throat> to a God who is all-powerful. The second thing is prayer is not designed just to be in a certain part of our lives. It's designed for every part of your life. We need to stop using prayer as a fire extinguisher. Like, whoa, something's gone out of handy. We need to bring out prayer. Now, that's a good thing. When you're going through a hard time, that's a good thing to do. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But it's not the only time we should be using it. It's not just a fire extinguisher to, to put out bad fires. It's about praying, whether we're joyful, thankful, or whether we're worried. Finally, prayer is really important. Prayer is not for perfect people. It's for you. James finishes by using this example of Elijah. And he says, Elijah was just a person like me and you. And yet he prayed and the rain stopped for three and a half years. Like how powerful is that prayer? And he prayed and it started raining again. And he's pointing out Elijah because he's just like me. He's just like you. He messed up. There was times he didn't trust God. There was times he sinned and needed to repent. But let me encourage you, if the thing that stops you from approaching God <clears throat> is an issue of self-worth, a lie that you're not good enough for prayer, God won't answer your prayers because he knows what you did. He knows who you are. You are wrong. It's a lie. And you need to let that just fall off your shoulders. God loves you. You are his son and his daughter. And it's nothing to do with what you bring to the table. It's everything to do with what Jesus did on the cross through the resurrection. And now when you approach him, you approach him knowing that you can approach him in confidence. That's how you approach the throne of God. Because when he looks at you, he sees you, daughter, son. He loves you and he wants the best for you. He hears you. Let me say that again. He hears you. He's listening. I tell you, like, I've got a little girl, turned three today. Man, I hear her. If she cries, if she's excited, if she's happy, like, I hear her. Like, how much more does God hear you? How much more does he know you? He hears you. Don't be discouraged. Be excited. Know your words are powerful. Know you have authority in the name of Jesus. Let me pray.
Father, we just thank you so much for who you are. You are a God of love. Lord, we don't always understand your plan. We don't always get your plan. We don't understand why some prayers are answered instantly. Some prayers are answered slowly. Some prayers are never answered, Lord. We just don't understand everything. But Lord, we come fully trusting you. Lord, help us to know deep down and an immovable truth that you are good and you love us and you have the best for us. We don't always understand your response, Lord, but we want to know deep down that you are good, that you love us, that there was nothing that you would withhold in order to have relationship with us. You even gave up your only son Lord, how could we not be convinced that you have the best? So Lord, we pray against discouragement when prayers aren't answered right away. Lord, just bring us in line with your will as we pray. We just ask that. And Lord, I pray that for anybody in this room, maybe they don't even know you. Maybe they haven't prayed ever in their lives. Maybe they've prayed a couple of times, but Lord, I, I just, just feel like you said, hey, like, I'm listening to you. You might not know me, but I know you. I'm listening to you. And I want to have a conversation with you. I want to tell you about my love for you. I want to tell you about my plans for your life. And Lord, for those who know you, been following you for years, Lord, I just pray against discouragement. I, I pray that you would increase faith, Lord, that when we bring our petitions to you, we know without a doubt that God, our Father, is listening. His desire is for no one to be sick, no one to perish, no one to be lost. He would leave the 99 sheep to come and find the one that's missing. So, Lord, I just pray right now that you would speak these truths. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.